1: And everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast.
0: And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. Week 3, not quite in the books, but we are here with our instant reactions, as you always come for it, every single late, 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 late Saturday night or early Sunday morning uh, here on the show. That's Barton Simmons. That's Tom Franelli. I'm Chip Patterson. We're all home. Nobody... Uh, room 136 at the Hilton Garden Inn Airport, Austin. Thank you so much for your service last week. Uh, but we uh, now have a full, almost full day to take in and break down for you right now. We will get through as much of this as we can. Gentlemen, week three was touted as this big uh, no ranked on ranked teams. But yet, we certainly saw some uh, some ranked teams fall. We will get to those in a little bit. Uh, Barton. You were just deep in because this is instant. You were deep in on Clemson Syracuse. Did you feel like Syracuse ever had a chance in the what some people viewed as the one biggest test that Clemson might face in the early part of the season?
2: <clears throat> oh God, no! They never had a chance. Never had a. They never sniffed a chance. And, I, and I'd like to state, by the way, for the record, we're sitting here after a long day. It's it's after midnight your time, Chip. Um, and, you know, if I, if I talk a little slower right now, if I throw a few ums in there, well, look, man, this is what you get with an instant reaction. We're formulating our thoughts. So, you know, take it easy with the two-star reviews, haters. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's right. So, you can go give us a five star. If you give us a two star, that's uh that's just shameful. We uh we do read the reviews and obviously Barton does for sure.
2: But listen, if you want if you want some canned uh if you want some canned takes that are manufactured for Monday morning, then hey, we can you can get those. These are fresh piping hot, and sometimes a piping hot take takes a little longer to get rolling so Straight now that that's <laughs> now that that's now that that's off my chest uh, let's dig into this Clemson game a little bit where here we are and this was a I mean another game what Trevor Lawrence had two more interceptions he's got five on the year one more than he had all year last year Travis Etienne had like 76 yards rushing and the offense was I mean eventually they piled him up and took control. But the Clemson offense is is still working his kinks out, Chip. You were you were late <laughs> uh, no, you were early getting off the Clemson Unders train. Should have stuck with that. That that was a good early call. Uh, but no, I mean this is ultimately it's about the defense. I mean the defense is just so damn good. Isaiah Simmons is such a freak of nature. And it's just really hard to move the ball on those guys, especially uh, if you're an ACC football team. But all that said, I do think one, like, my maybe my biggest takeaway is Amari Rodgers.
0: 166 days from Unbelievable. ACL tear makes his debut last week against Texas A&M. Uh, two touchdowns here or just one?
2: He had two. And... Yes. He had – I tore my ACL in in college, and I came back from it a full – I don't know, it was like – I mean, I tore it the spring before what would have been my senior year. So then I had that entire – what is that? About 15, 16 months to to heal up. And you're – 16 months later, and you're still taking some time like learning to trust the knee again. Amari Rodgers is is less than six months out, and he is flying. And I think he provides like not only just that, not just like the medical miracle of what's going on on the field, which is crazy, but also just what he provides to that offense. I think is really special. I think he is there. There's all these long Cadillacs on the outside, and I think Amari Rodgers, is he is the Christian Kirk or the I guess in, in Clemson, I don't know who's who is the Clemson sort of more slotty guy, but he's the slot space guy. He's like a running back after the catch. He's a he's a physical guy who can get open and create separation in, in that underneath game. Uh, and I think he's a really important part of this offense. I guess he's uh, you know he's the Adam Humphreys or the um, say it.
0: What's was was Hunter some, Renfro, some, baby? Hunter Renfro. Yeah, <laughs> the position <I> mean, <laughs> the position's been held down for 15 years, and so it's been taking some time for Marty and, and, Rogers hey, to come in there.
2: If we go from Adam Humphries and Hunter Renfro to the the Adam Humphreys and Hunter Renfro now looks and runs and is explosive like this dude, like that. Talk about adding some juice to your offense. I mean, he's gonna have a, to
1: start shaving his hairline back.
2: anyways that's my amari rogers uh i don't think we need to dig too much into this game because there's more interesting games out there but yeah clemson did their thing
0: did you get many eyes on it um tom uh
1: yeah i i saw a lot of it i mean it's 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 really no different than last week what i was talking about clemson at this point especially with what we've seen and i'm sure we'll get into from the rest of the acc so far it's like Clemson's biggest opponent for the rest of the year is going to be Clemson. It's going to be not getting bored and keeping its focus. And, you know, there's a chance that it could slip up at some point. I mean, we see really good teams do it all the time during the regular season, but I I don't see where it's going to be. They're, they're so much better than everybody. I mean, look what they did to this Syracuse team that we expected to be you know one of their main competitors in the ACC this year now granted from what we've seen from Syracuse for 3 weeks we were way off on that assessment but it's it's you know Trevor Lawrence is throwing 2 interceptions what was the stat he's got 5 interceptions so far this year after throwing 4 last year i saw it 3 of those interceptions have resulted in the opponent getting the, the ball in their own you know in the red zone clemson has him a lot of point on any of those yeah. after any of those interceptions
2: <laughs> yeah that's like, a nice little safety net
1: so, I mean, even when they're screwing up, you can't do anything about it. They're just like, okay, fine, we'll just get the ball back. It doesn't matter. Who cares? So it's yeah. I mean, what's left on their schedule at this point? Do they play Virginia this year before the title game? If they assuming do not. Virginia gets there, which we can't assume.
0: No, they uh, they've got a, a difficult road trip to go play. Mac Brown in the North Carolina Tar Heels.
1: That's, yeah. Mac's still looking for that second right now.
2: Yeah. Um, no, it's Wake's Wake's the toughest one left. They might be hiding closets.
1: They might be. That's the state of the ACC right now. I mean, Miami kicked whatchamacallit's butt tonight, but that was you a know, game they're supposed to win. Florida State nearly knocked off Virginia. Virginia came back to win that. Boston College lost to Kansas on Friday night. Louisville looked pretty good, even though it didn't have you know, it. Juwan Pass was out. NC State went on the lo- road and lost to a West Virginia team. We were dogging last week. It's it's What is this conference right now?
0: You forgot to mention the Citadel over Georgia Tech.
2: I yeah. The, oh yeah. The, and you've heard, what you is, know, what or, is that? Is that is that count as karma? What is that? An <laughs> option? <laughs> offense beats Paul Johnson. You got what team. you
0: deserved. You Unreal. bail you bail on it and then all of a sudden that's what you get on the uh, on the other side of it. I mean, Georgia Tech played dumb. The Georgia Tech should have won that game. They played really, really dumb. Bad loss for Jeff Collins' group. Uh I I was more alarmed. By Virginia Tech messing around with Furman, than I was with Georgia Tech losing at uh, the Citadel.
2: Yeah, that was funny. I'm, I mean, no offense to Furman or Virginia Tech, but every time I sort of flipped over that game, it it looked. I mean, Furman looks like one double A guys. Like it's not as if this looked like, I don't know, North Dakota State, maybe, where it's just this sort of FCS juggernaut. Furman looks like a team that's probably going to lose a couple games in the FCS. And they were right in there with Virginia Tech. Hmm. Um, well, what? So, so how? Let, I want to go. Let, let's let's unless there's more you want to dig into on on Clemson. Not necessarily. Think as we were talk, as we were getting ready to get, jump on this, I I there's there was some interesting developments in Florida State's. I think that game was interesting. It was a close game, and given all the repercussions that we might see from that game, I don't know. Like, I I wouldn't mind digging into that one early in the pod here.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say let's. Uh, I don't want to focus specifically on Clemson. I, I I like I like going ACC and and Florida State certainly a part of this. One and two start now, and they were. Do y'all know the the history and little twist of irony here? in terms of what 1995 and getting stopped at the goal line is. Was
2: well, that the, uh, the uh, amply Was it amply It,
0: it was, was Warwick it? Dunn. Oh, War,
2: Warwick Dunn, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Stopped at the goal line, very first time that Florida State had ever lost uh, an ACC conference game. It was to Virginia. It was in Charlottesville. The same thing happens uh, to Cam yeah. Akers uh, as he gets stopped on a direct snap. Right there at the end of uh, at the end of regulation, they complete the third and long, and then rush no spike, just go right into the direct snap. Willie Taggart's getting asked about it at the end of the game. He's saying, you know, I don't call the plays. Kendall called this the plays. So now we've seen Willie Taggart mention. Uh, you know the strength and conditioning after one loss, and then after their second loss of the season, you know he's he's going again. That was just a small snippet. All this is unfolding as we're talking right now, but uh, it sure seems like the the blame is is not getting totally owned. It's getting shared and passed around, deflected just a little bit. And Florida State, like like Virginia, tried so hard to lose that game. Virginia had what four fifteen yard penalties on one drive that helped keep Florida State alive.
1: Yeah, this this was a penalty fest.
0: Like the, the I'm not going to be Mr. Officials guy, but it did seem like we had a a lot of a, a lot of rough days out there, and certainly in Charlottesville that was one of them. So like for Florida State, do you is is there anything to come out of this outside of just overwhelming negativity?
2: No. Okay, so I've, I, you, you first, or, or, or maybe that doesn't even take an explanation, but I actually had a different take on it, and you guys can put me in my place if you feel that's necessary. But And, and granted, I wasn't watching it with the volume on. I didn't have the uh, – maybe I didn't have the full feel of the atmosphere or the, the ups and downs of the game because, again, I, my main game that I had to watch for work purposes was the Clemson game. And, but I felt like I watched this Florida state team kind of battle for 60 minutes and it sucks for them that they got an L out of the deal, but they, they kept on paddling. And I, and I feel like even up to that last drive where, I mean, I, again, I, 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 this was like sort of my second screen game and I was like, and I had Virginia, uh, in the seven. And so, in a way, I was looking at, you know, Virginia got a sack, I think, early in that drive. And I th- for some reason, I thought maybe that the drive was over. And then, I don't know if there's a penalty or, or a play I missed somewhere along the way. But, you know, Florida State made a play, penalties. Yeah, anyways, like, that that whole drive and all the way down to the Cam Akers' second efforts, like, barely grazed the knee, could have been a score. I just felt like Florida State aside from just the loss it struck me as a more enc- encouraging performance but I, may, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm misreading it.
1: I am not encouraged. I mean it's for like the stuff you mentioned at the beginning Chip just looking at things on the sidelines where you know the first game it was the trainer's faults for not hydrating the players tonight you know Willie kind of getting snippy about the play calling just saying I'm not calling the plays kind of you know throwing Bryles on, Kendall Bryles under the bus so there's there's clearly, you know, some incohesion in the coaching staff. and it's, you know, kind of a situation that you kind of heard, you know, with so many cooks in the kitchen at Florida State. Part of the reason why Jimbo was never really shy about the fact he kind of wanted to get out of Tallahassee and you could see there's so many people going around and there's so many people grasping for power in that p- program that there's some that already want Tagger gone. there's some that don't. And I'm guessing it's going to end up soon if things keep going this direction. Clearly, it's probably going to end up with a new coach there in the near future. But as far as the players, yeah, they're trying. But this is also a team that through three games has absolutely no idea how to finish. We saw in the in the opener against Boise State, they came out hot. They looked fantastic. Second half came. They had no idea how to finish. We saw last week against Yo Monroe. They had no idea how to finish. They only won that game in overtime because Monroe missed an extra point. And then Willie Taggart had the quote about his defense making a play when it had to. And then tonight, they're up. You know, they're beating Virginia for the majority of this game. And then they allow 21 points in the fourth quarter to lose the game. And it's at the end. They have a chance to tie it. Cam Akers, they couldn't finish. He got stuffed at the goal line. It's just they don't know how to win yet. They don't know how to finish. And I don't know if Willie Taggart is going to get the time to teach them how to do it if Willie Taggart is capable of teaching them how to do it. So I think that talent-wise, man, this is a team that's probably going to look like it's better than it is and it's going to be in games because it's got so much talent. But just everything else, man, I don't see any kind of like silver lining. I don't see any light at the end of this tunnel right now with this team. It's just – I can't wait until Cam Akers is in the NFL so I can actually see him play football. Put it that way
0: they got a lot of breaks, including a missed extra point. Like at 24-23, I was like, goodness gracious, is Virginia just going to tighten up and choke this thing away? And then uh, they storm back, and then they even get the two-point conversion. And the Bryce Perkins two-point conversion, goodness gracious, just like that that whole late fourth quarter performance by the Florida State defense was um, – indicative of what we've seen so far. And so, like, Barton, they bring in Jim Levitt, like this little extra Jim Levitt hire. Let's let's bring in some of that secret sauce that helped our Oregon defense go from 122nd to, like, 35th. I'm not expecting it to show up right away, but it definitely didn't show up right away. There was no, like, one thing that had this Florida State defense locked in. And we talked about this before on the podcast, that, that Florida State, with that talent on the defensive side of the ball is just so poor right now is probably my lingering disappointment. Like Willie deflecting blame, talking about play calling. Those things are interesting because those have to do with the power dynamics and power dynamics are definitely at play as we consider what the future of Florida state football looks like. But if we're just to talk about the performance Yes, James Blackman, Cam Akers, and that offense that they're still grinding and scrapping is a good, encouraging sign that they haven't quit. But just the poor execution and the poor performance by the Florida State defense, that's something that I don't see uh, getting cleaned up anytime soon.
2: I I think that maybe is some context that I didn't consider in my – take there because I, I wasn't paying attention start to finish but 21 points in the fourth quarter is is a bit of a pattern right now given what they've done elsewhere and I think like the line about I didn't call the plays, Kendall called the plays, I mean that's just a that's just another bad look and in, in a pattern of bad looks and I think it plays into this unrest inside the building that is further aggravated by you having your former DC come in to look over the shoulder, of your current DC and chip. I don't think that's going to get better. Like I've talked to defensive coordinators that have had a, like an analyst come in and sometimes those are great, but sometimes that's, that that is not like that's, that's the head coach making that hire. And that's not always something that the D.C. is even even wants. Mm. Because all that is is like another cook in the kitchen, second-guessing your decisions, a guy that probably the head coach has some sort of a relationship with. And so this is even worse than that. I mean, because it's literally the guy that Willie Taggart wanted to bring from Oregon who decided to stay. Harlan Barnett's like the second choice. Now he's not living up, and now you're bringing the, the guy in to, to audit things. And it's like, I mean, I guess this is, there, there, there's there's kind of no charade to it this is just you're gonna get replaced sooner or later bud uh d- you know let's let's see let's see how, hard, how long you can survive
1: well from- it all it all strikes me as you know you're trying to set up somebody to be the fall guy i mean and I, I i don't say this with any inside and information but i just kendall Brown, it's he's calling the plays i'm bringing in my old dc to audit my current dc I look at what this is, and I feel like this is like a move to be like, hey, it's my coordinators. (laughs) I'm going to fire my defensive coordinator. I'm going to fire my offensive coordinator, and we're going to try to get this thing going for next year. I feel like this is a move or moves that are, you know, Willie Taggart is trying to save his job. And I'm not criticizing him for it, but that's what this all strikes me as. It all strikes me as kind of like a, all right, what can I do? And this, that's that's what I kind of feel like it is.
0: Well, from uh, from Florida State to the Florida Gators, one of the biggest headlines, one of the most interesting games of the evening was those top 10 ranked Gators going on the road to Lexington. Uh, bad performance by Florida early. Kentucky gets an early lead. Sawyer Smith kind of has things going, you know, taking advantage of the size that Ahmad Wagner has and the fact that Florida's a little bit banged up in the secondary, a little bit banged up in the pass rush game, but then all of a sudden a gruesome injury to Felipe Franks. Kyle Trask comes in. The Gators finish the game with 19 unanswered points to be able to escape Lexington with a win. So for for Florida, uh, Dan Mullen, after the game, believes that that will be no Felipe Franks for the rest of the season. Uh, Like Barton, I feel bad because I feel like locking up Kentucky, which was a push and going
2: as a a brutal push, brutal push.
0: Absolutely. But like going all in on this Kentucky play, I felt like I did a lot of just sort of dragging Felipe Franks's name through the mud, which now, after a devastating injury, I feel very like guilty and 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 nasty about. But you know, now we have to take a new um, a new look at this Florida team. Kyle Trask comes in. You know how how can Florida still accomplish the same goals that it had with Felipe Franks at quarterback with Kyle Trask?
2: Well, I think one thing that's important to remember about Kyle Trask is I think I'm right on this. Uh, you know, Again, this is instant reaction. I haven't gone back to triple check, but I'm pretty sure Kyle Trask, the, the buzz around Gainesville last year in the preseason was that Kyle Trask, or maybe it was even like the summer or the spring, but there was a, there was definitely a point where it sounded like Kyle Trask was sort of the leader in the clubhouse for the starting job over Felipe Franks then I believe he had like a kind of, got kind of banged up or something. And and that gave Felipe a chance to sort of take the lead and, and and never gave it back. And so Kyle Trask is certainly capable. Um, Well, Kyle Trask trivia, they may have thrown it out there at the game, but he's Derek King's backup in high school. So the guy doesn't, he didn't have a lot of starts under his belt in his lifetime. And so yeah, there, there might be some some moments where he looks a little shaky but he's talented I and mean, we saw that tonight so I think that their their goals are all I mean I don't think anything changes with Kyle Trask under center in terms of what they can accomplish um, and I mean certainly I mean he he, he seemed to give them a, some juice tonight that uh, that they were able to to feed off of
1: yeah, Trasco, I think, was Florida starter for about a day and a half before he broke his foot. And then go. Franks got the job last year. No, it's I mean, it's weird because i Franks is the starter for a reason, but I don't think that the gap between Franks and Trask is all that significant. I mean, had Trask not broken his foot last year, he he was likely going to start the season as the starter he might have been the starter all year and he might have been the starter going into this season so it's it's one of those things where you know injuries what cost trask the job last year and now another injury is going to give him a shot at the job this year and he played really well I mean this was a situation where it's one thing to come in to replace you know your starting quarterback in the game it's another thing to do it when you're down what was it 21 to 10 you're down 11 points and then to, to lead your team to 19 straight points to come back and win on the road, 29-21, That that's a really good sign. He was 9-13, of 13, he had 126 yards, he rushed for the touchdown, and the Florida offense really didn't seem to miss a beat, and in some ways it kind of, I thought, looked a little better once Franks was out with Trask in there, so... I don't know what this means for Florida going forward. I, I mentioned on HQ tonight and it's maybe it's a bad analogy considering the injury that Frank's had, but it reminds me of like when you see a team go through something like this and a backup come in, it reminds me of if you've ever like sprained your ankle while playing football or basketball, you know, you go it hurts like hell. You go to the sidelines, you get it taped up, you never take your foot out of the shoe, and then you're able to play through it because, you know, it hurts, but it's not it's not debilitating but then after the game after the adrenaline wears off once you get all that tape off and you take your shoe off the thing swells up to the size of a grapefruit you can barely walk on it and it hurts like hell so it's going to be interesting to see how this team looks going forward with Trask now that teams will be you know preparing for Trask because as Brian McFadden talked about in HQ sometimes as a defense you spend all week preparing for one guy the guy gets hurt there's this other guy comes in, you have no idea who he is. You didn't prepare for him, and it's like you said too, Barton. This He he didn't even play in high school, so it's not like there's a ton of tape on him for teams to study about who this guy is. So <laughs> there's a lot of mystery surrounding Trask, but I don't think, I see what, a, what I saw based tonight, I don't think Florida's in a ton of trouble. I think that they're probably still going to be the same kind of team with the same ceiling they had before the Franks injury. So I, I don't know what that means as far as, Competing with Georgia, I still don't see that as the picture. I didn't see that with Frank's. So I don't really see it with Trask. So it's other than that, though. This is still a team that could be, you know, top ten, top fifteen.
2: Hey, if if Kentucky plays Florida ten times on a neutral field, who do you guys think wins that game more times? Depends. Is
0: Kentucky turning
1: the ball over four times?
0: Yeah, hey, I mean, I, I was gonna say I came out of tonight not even considering the quarterback position, still downgrading Florida in terms of its distance with Georgia to the point where I I look at the the changing quarterback and I'm like man you know that stinks for Felipe Franks and I was not a big Felipe Franks fan but there was also so many other places both defensively and offensively where I'm just like man I don't think that that team is great and Georgia just hasn't been making mistakes this season and I believe that with the Florida playing LSU, with Florida playing Auburn, like there are going to be times where having having Josh Hammond, having Van Jefferson, having these just really really good skill players that are going to be able to break a couple of plays in Dan Mullen's offense, like that's not going to be enough, and so that's. That's why I come out of the performance against Kentucky. Yes, the injury to the quarterback is a headline, but I think that even just the general performance leaves me nonplussed on their ability to wreck uh, what seems to be Georgia's wide open path to another SEC East title.
1: Yeah, and as far as Kentucky's concerned, I mean, I took the over on their six and a half wins before the season, and I mean, I would have liked the win. for help. That would have helped tonight, but – I was concerned after losing Terry Wilson. I was like, oh, man, it might be a lot harder to get to seven wins now. But after what I saw tonight, I'm actually more encouraged about them going forward than I was going into the game. I, I still think this is a Kentucky team that, especially when you look around the rest of the East, because after Georgia, there's a lot of shrugs. This is still a Kentucky team I think could win, you know, quite a few games.
2: Yeah, I, I think that, that's part of why I asked that question is I, I I came out of that game a little bit being having some encouragement about Kentucky, and I don't know, I think – the, those both of those teams look like anywhere from twenty to like forty in the nation. Right, and th- that's probably about right. And and but point being is both those teams, and I'm looking at you, Florida in particular, like they are a tier below certainly Georgia, but probably like the Texases of the world and the. You know, the, some some of these other top 10 to 12 types. I mean, Florida's ranked 10th in the country. They didn't look like a top 10 team to me. And part of that's they're, they're, they're a little banged up. I get it. But that happens. That's football. So, um, yeah, I, I think a little recalibration on both sides continues. I mean, we've, we've seen Florida twice now in games against teams that are not juggernauts. And twice they've looked just good enough to win. Coming up on the other
0: side, we will discuss what to make of the end of the beloved USC Trojans and their playoff run. (laughs) Next. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance. You know, you got Utah coming up. You got Washington coming up. You got all these. You got Notre Dame coming up. Must win situation for Clay Helton. And uh, and guys, I I think my USC playoff pick is done. I think it died in Provo today. I think that in overtime, uh, Kalani Satake and uh, the BYU Cougars, they got... They've got a, an impressive profile onto themselves. We can discuss BYU next as they have wins at Tennessee and against USC. But Barton, is this is this just the beginning of the end for Clay Helton?
2: Um hmm. I mean I don't know. I mean it's it's it sure seems like it. I, I look I predicted them to go two and four to start the season. I think I predicted them to win their first two games. I predicted them to lose to BYU, but until the actual week came, and then I didn't have the, the stones to to predict it. But preseason, I did, and so I think this is tracking towards sort of the where I thought this was going to go, and and yet as we've arrived here, I mean the product doesn't look bad. They they just got beat, and I think BYU is is I mean good good on BYU I mean that's look at the 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 absolute murderers row of a schedule they play I mean they had to play Utah go to Tennessee USC and now they got Washington next and if you're going to tell me that they start off that slate two and one man good on Utah I mean that's I think that's a team that's winning some games I do think that that's a I mean when when we saw, and and I and I wish that I had sort of foretold this a little bit better. But I mean, what they they just they just dropped a bunch of guys in coverage every play, right? From what I could tell, and just tried to make Keith and Slovis be patient and pick them apart.
0: Oh, mm-hmm. they had five guys in the box pretty much every single time. They were like, no, no, just just run it, just hand the ball off on all your on all your little uh, RPOs, just R. That's all.
2: Yeah, and it's so. I mean they they got a little film on the True frosh. and they and they and they decided to test him. and it, it, you know it's the, that that first week magic wasn't quite there so I don't know I guess I'm not trying to go hard on the paint at Clay Helton right now as much as I just think good on BYU going to win a game
1: I well, I think if you're Clay Helton The good news for you earlier this week, although I don't think it's good news long term, but the short term good news is that Lin Swan, quote unquote, resigned because now that USC is searching for a new athletic director, it's probably not going to want to fire its coach during the year and begin that process until it has an athletic director. So that bought you some time. This loss probably hurts you in the longer, but I, I still think, you know, this is I. There's, I felt like there was a difference in this USC loss compared to some of the losses we saw last year. I felt like you know a lot of the USC losses last season was just them being outplayed completely. I think this was a tough game against a tough team in a very tough environment with a freshman making his first road start, who played you know had times played well. He had the two touchdowns. He you know threw for 281 yards, but then there were times where he was the freshman threw three interceptions. So. I don't think this is a horrible look for USC. I still think this is, you know, they come back on Friday night against a really good Utah team, short week. But I don't think that I'm going to go into that game thinking USC has no prayer of beating Utah. I don't think it's going to beat Utah. But I look at this team and I still think, you know, if they play well, they could probably beat just about anybody. And I think they are capable of beating Utah. And this loss to BYU doesn't make me think that there's anything like... More problematic with this team than I thought going in. I still have, I still think this team's better than my preseason expectations were for it, although they weren't quite as high as yours, Chips. But still,
2: I'll I'll put it like this I think if you gave Florida State USC's schedule, like from here on out or these next uh, three games, I I would have very little confidence of Florida State winning any of those. But I wouldn't be surprised at all if usc beat utah or if usc beat notre dame mm-hmm. you know what i mean like they, they they're not i don't know it, it doesn't look broken at no. usc it just looks it, like they've they just lost a tough game
1: yeah they still that, that yeah i think at the base of what we're saying is they still look a lot more competent this year than they did last year
2: yeah i think so
0: i don't think mm, it was bad early in that game usc it, USC was having uh, a lot of procedural issues. They still don't look right. They still are hanging on. Like, like Keaton Slovis, a good target for him to zero in on. But the you know Michael Pittman, the the captain, the veteran, the guy who's been there forever, sure looks like he gets a lot of these looks. And I know that wide receiver room is way deeper, but it definitely seems like that's that's kind of the safety blanket. Uh, we mentioned that schematically BYU really wanted to force USC into beating them on the ground. Vi Vi Malpai got a little bit banged up, still ended up finishing with a couple of scores and nearly hundred yards rushing. Like there, there were a lot of good takeaways for USC, but man, I, I came out of this one really feeling like they let it get away. Cause that was another situation where similar to the, the Virginia Florida state game. There's one of these sides that is expected to win and used to winning. There's one of these sides that is not. And the one that is not at times down the stretch in the second half started making some mistakes that would pack into, you know, get a little bit tight, get a little bit, get a little bit tight. And, uh, and USC wasn't able to take advantage of it. They weren't able to steal a win there. So USC's win and being propelled into the top 25 is thanks to that victory over Stanford. Stanford goes and gets blown out by uh, UCF. Barton, you foretold it. Stanford, different. <laughs>
2: yeah, yep, yep. This is uh, the the old what is the saying? Is is this ain't your 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 grand your granddaddy's whatever? This is not your dad's Stanford. It is your granddaddy's Stanford. Back to the old Stanford oh, where they damn. used to get you know, beaten up on a little bit. Like this Stanford team, I I mean, they just can't they can't handle that kind of juice that a team like UCF has. So let's let's recalibrate things everybody. Let's let's look at Stanford in in a way that they deserve to be looked at which is as a below average Pac-12 team. I mean that's just who they are. This is not they're not going to beat anybody up. They're not going to you know play in in low scoring defensive games. They're not going to run the football consistently. They're 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 not any of the things that you think they are anymore. So just get it out of your head. And UCF exposed them.
1: I'll just say it. You can't spell Stanford without soft. (laughs)
0: Facts. (laughs) Facts only.
1: I mean, that defense, what? uh, UCF averaged 7.4 yards per play. (laughs) And it's not like UCF, I mean, UCF is a very talented team, but it's not like it's this giant behemoth team that's throwing all these huge dudes at you. They were just getting pushed around by, you know, UCF. And yes, it's the best group of five team and it's better than a lot of power five teams but even going on the road I don't care Stanford just got it's Butt whipped, and there's really no other way to put it. They they didn't have a prayer in that game. I mean, it was like it was 14 to nothing within five minutes, I think. It was 21 to nothing, like another couple minutes after that. It was 28 to 7 after the first quarter. It was 38 to 7 at halftime. I mean, they made it look better by finishing in the fourth quarter with 17 points to make it look closer, but it was not an 18-point game. This was a blowout. And Yeah, Stanford is, you know, I hope they get to a bowl game.
0: The thing that's really concerning is that UCF made Stanford look slow and small. Yeah, that's that's not great. I mean, UCF has a lot of team speed. Yes, that has been something that's been in place there uh, since, you know, forever. You know, but I I. I think when you are looking both slow and small and out of place, that's where you're you're no longer creating advantages. You're no longer finding the the market inefficiencies in terms of what you're gonna be. And like Barton, like it, it might be an identity thing. It might just be a personnel thing. This year's team is all banged up, but man, it is uh it is it is not a good it is not a dominant football team in any of the three phases.
2: Yeah, it's a shame that they got exposed. Like I, I almost wish that they had
0: So you could have carried chalk- it over and locked yeah, up a couple of yeah, chalked <laughs> up
2: some more points late or something and made the score look a little more respectable so I could just ride this a little longer. But I think the I think the the cat's out of the bag at this point with Stanford.
0: Um, okay, so let's see. Alabama, South Carolina. Any thoughts? Uh,
1: my thought is that we really need to work on getting coaches to understand how math works. I mean, this is a now. Granted, this was the game was over, but it was strange to me with how aggressive Will Muschamp was being, knowing that hey, if I'm going to beat Alabama. I'm going to have to pull some stuff out of my butt. I'm going to have to run some fake punts. I'm going to have to run some fake field goals. I'm going to have to do all this kind of weird stuff. I'm going to have to make things happen. There he was, down 21 points at the start of the fourth quarter, kicking a field goal (laughs) to make the three-score game a three-score game. And we've seen so much of this from coaches this week. It wasn't just Muschamp. It was uh, Pat Narduzzi doing it against Penn State. Oh, my god. We see it from – NFL coaches every single week I just I don't understand hell even you know Dino was doing it against Clemson today when he's down 21 to nothing kicking a field goal and then these you know they, they get later they kick, they kick another field goal it's like the win expectancy as I was watching these games for Alabama for Clemson for these teams they actually you increased their win expectancy by kicking these field goals and I don't understand why coaches don't understand this yet. These are supposed to be institutions of higher learning, people. We should be educating the coaches, not just the players.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean that that was that looked like in Alabama. Just that was going to be as as close as Alabama. Let it be. I mean, they they had control of the whole game, right? And Najee Harris did some silly stuff out there. Uh, Henry Ruggs did some silly stuff out there. Devontae Smith, I mean, it was just sort of they all just kind of took turns being really good. Defensively, though, is it maybe this Alabama team? I mean, they're, they're fine. They're good enough on defense, but it seems like Ryan Holinsky kind of hung in there and made some plays, and South Carolina showed that you can move the ball a little bit on Alabama. I haven't looked at the box score, but from the flashes I saw, it looked like they weren't hopeless on defense at, at the very least. And maybe that's something to encourage the South Carolina folk.
0: Well,
1: I, I think people were looking for something that wasn't there.
0: Well, the number that the number that stands out to me is 86 Alabama's defense was on the field for 86 plays. Like that is number one, something that's going to happen because of the way the offense is set up right now. And number two, as you, even mentioned as we've mentioned on this podcast even going back into you know the the Dylan Moses injury depth is an issue for this Alabama defense and if they get caught in a lot of games against SEC opponents where they are on the field for 86 plays they're going to give up yards and they're going to give up points but when you've got Tua and you know like South Carolina decided they were going to shut down Jerry Judy. Jerry Judy had six catches for like 60-something yards. So what happened? Uh, Devonta Smith and Henry Ruggs each go for 100-plus. Like That will be ultimately the, the final play or the card that's going to come down that's going to win Alabama a lot of these games. But if we want to start talking about Alabama's defense, we need to understand that they don't have the kind of depth to be able to perform at the level that we're used to seeing Alabama's defense perform at, given the offense that they're playing opposite. Like they're going to give up yards. They're going to give up points because they're just going to be gassed in a lot of these games.
1: Yeah. And I think that like with Halinsky, I understand freshman quarterback making his first career start against Alabama. Not exactly the easiest assignment, but I saw a lot of, you know, on Twitter, just like everybody was like, hey, Alinsky's handling himself well. And he did. He wasn't bad, but it's just, yes, he finished with 324 yards, but he threw 57 passes. He averaged 5.7 yards per attempt. He had an interception. He fumbled twice. I don't think that's, you know, we want to be decreeing who he is going forward, but I don't think that was the kind of performance where I'm like super excited about him. It's like, I don't think he's the reason South Carolina lost by any means, but
2: well, we just- I think, I think what was interesting is just, uh, again, this is more of me just observing all the South Carolina people that I, I see on social media, but it appeared that it was more of a vibe of just like, all right, I kind of like this guy better than Jake Bentley.
1: that I can understand.
2: Well,
0: I mean, you know,
2: you
0: know that there's,
1: there's a lot of feeling there. (laughs) It's like you might, you might've been with somebody for a decade and then your first few weeks with the new person, you're like, you know what? I like this one better.
2: That is, that is true.
1: (laughs) Another month or two. You're like, you know what? No, this ain't going to work either.
0: All right. So let's go to uh, the rivalry corner. Iowa Iowa State Delay Bowl or uh oh, I guess Penn State Pitt was also the Delay Bowl but just not as many delays. Which one do y'all want to unpack first?
1: I'll I'll start with Penn State. I am right. just not impressed. I mean, they won 17 to 10, but Sean Clifford looked pretty bad for the most part in this game. He was 14 of 30, 222 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. He's just that the the Penn State offense, I thought was kind of disjointed. I mean, they they averaged six point three yards of play. The running game was there. I thought dirtydy Brown looked really good. He had over a hundred yards. I thought, but I just felt like the passing game and if they were trying to throw it, there just wasn't much for them to do. Clifford was missing throws. He was missing you know it wasn't it's not like he had a bunch of pressure in his face. He was sacked I think three times, but Overall, I was just like, man, because I'd been impressed with him the last, you know, especially in the second half against Buffalo last week. But in that first half against Buffalo, he looked pretty bad. And today he was reminding me of the guy who looked pretty bad last week in that first half, except he was that way all day. So... I'm a, my my takeaway from this is Penn State got the win, cool, but they were 17 and a half point favorites who only scored 17 points. And I just look at them going forward, it's like when you compare them to Ohio State right now and what you've seen from them through 3 weeks and now what I've seen through from Penn State through 3 weeks, it's like I I don't see it. I don't I don't see this team being a legit contender in the Big 10 this year.
2: I don't know, Tom. They look like the second best team in the Big Ten East to me. They might be. <laughs> they but might be. I don't be. think that. I think that <laughs> but, says a lot
3: about. Yeah, these.
2: but <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Like that's my. That's what I'm getting. Like that's that. The Big Ten East all of a sudden is Michigan hadn't looked good. Maryland just lost to Temple. Michigan State just lost to Arizona State, and Penn State in a ugly, nasty. Weather delayed rivalry game, just mucked around with Pitt and got out alive. But I mean, that there was nothing in this game that I didn't really e- expect. And I'm not gonna, I'm not coming away from this being saying acting like I'm impressed with Penn State. I'm just saying I don't really hold this game against them. The, sometimes these games with Patton you can get weird, and this one got a little bit weird. Like you mentioned, they've got a lot of guys that can do a lot of things in the run game. They've got a quarterback in Sean Clifford that is not going to win you a game. But I think he can do the things you need to do to win it. Like he's not going to lose it, I don't think. And and I do think that the receivers are really talented and are going to start to sort of flash more as we go down the road. So I, I don't, I'm don't. i not disagreeing with you that it was a not an impressive performance. I just don't. I'm not gonna hold it against them too much, and, and I and I still think they might be the second best team in the East, and I don't know, maybe the third best team in the Big Ten altogether.
0: There's something about playing Pitt where I I go back and I I think none of, not none of, but you know, there's a lot of the the defense, especially where I don't find any of the individuals uh, overwhelming me with the the sort of raw talent or the flash and there's not a lot of uh feeling like you are looking at you know incredible size it feels like we've got a lot of undersized linebackers and undersized safeties and, and and Barton like the 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 phrase that kept coming to mind watching Pitt is like oh these are a bunch of tryhards that are real fired up right now and like i guess that's that's a good thing in a way if you are looking for the motivation for that game but when it came down to it it's like that was the the there was a superior team that had great recruiting classes thanks to James Franklin and that staff four stars and five stars and they just got caught mucking around like you mentioned with Pitt and then to be able to to come out with that win was so so important and also maybe like a little bit of a bonus for me when I look at James Franklin because I have been outspoken and sort of criticized him for game management and in a uh, who can mess this up more, for Pat Narduzzi to have that fourth down inside the five-yard line, down seven points, and attempt a field goal, then have that field goal not be good, I mean, James Franklin comes out of this game looking like the game management genius.
1: Didn't didn't you hear why Narduzzi kicked the field goal chip? Because he needed two scores to win. Yeah, because when you're down seven, you need two scores to win. Again, (laughs) higher education. Teach the coaches, too. Uh,
2: There was a game where... uh, Man, I wish I could remember which game it was. Maybe you guys saw this. I want to say there was a girl holding a clipboard, or or maybe it might have even been like a binder, and she was standing next to the coach. It was this weekend, and and she was in his ear, and I, I swear she must have been like the analytics girl or like the game, you know, situational girl. And this is this is great podcasting right here as I try to work through this, but. Uh, but you're right i mean there should be there should be someone there that's just you know gets get like an ec- economics professor and give like <laughs> a stipend and just 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 let them be right there with you and be your your uh your conscience when it comes to game management
1: maybe mm. she's the one who should be making seven figures
2: <laughs> <laughs> so what
0: so where's the um where is the is there more panic for michigan state or maryland
1: Oh, Michigan State. I mean, I don't I mean Maryland lost, but I don't know if they should be panicking. They're still two and one. I mean, they're what well, yeah, like we not like we are still were, ahead of schedule. Yeah. It's not like we were expecting them to be winning the Big Ten, but Michigan State just you didn't fix anything. Like Mark D'Antonio didn't fire anybody on his offensive staff. He just made them all switch jobs and that was supposed to magically fix anything. It hasn't. That offense was horrible again today. They couldn't do anything. And it's come to the point where Mark D'Antonio just needs to, you know, bow his neck and fire some people and make some changes. It's, you know, I understand that a lot of coaches don't like to do it, but it's part of the job, man. And it's clearly not working because this was a game where, let me look at this up real quick. I don't think Arizona State had more than 250 yards in this game. Let me see. It was... Yeah, Arizona State had 216 total yards of offense, (laughs) and it
2: won by three on the road. It is amazing how Michigan State can squander a defense like that, like that.
1: And and there was a moment in the game where they showed like it was uh, I can't remember I think it was Willikus and a couple other members of the Michigan State defensive line, and they're on the sideline and they're sitting on the bench. And you could just see it in their faces like, man, are they ever going to do this? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like you could see the frustration in their face because they're out there playing their asses off. They are they, they weren't let it, they, they were stopping Arizona. I mean, they allowed again, they allowed 216 yards, 10 points. Their offense couldn't even get them 11 points. And you could just see it. It's like, here we go again. It's going to be the same story. We're going to kill ourselves and then they're going to kill us. And it's just they they need to make changes, man. It's they're not going to, you're the fourth best team in the division like this at best. You might end up behind Maryland if you don't get this thing in order.
2: This is this was a weekend where you know when the when the dust settled all of a sudden we look up and like no conference has a claim on being a some some sort of sterling guiding light. I don't know, maybe the maybe the Big 12. No one of the Big 12s really looked terrible yet. But like all these other conferences have had you know, we talked about the SEC East was a weekend, uh, I guess the first weekend when the Tennessee and the Georgia State lost, and Arkansas lost to Portland State and Ole Miss lost to Memphis and all that and I mean this weekend the big 10 kind of had that sort of weekend, and the pack 12 is the pack 12 and the sec set like, so let's just, let's just, you know, stop with the pissing contest and agree that all the conferences, everybody sports.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh no, you want to, you want to piss people off? All uh, right. I don't see conference and all conferences matter. <laughs> 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 I don't see conferences. I just see teams. That's all. I don't see conferences.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, all right. So if you – when you're looking at the Big Ten West, Wisconsin was off this week. I was able to gut out the win against Iowa State. We say we don't take anything away in terms of each of these uh, two teams within their own respective conference title races. But that game, even stranger than strange with the multiple delays – is there any uh anything that you felt like you learned from Iowa, Iowa State this year?
2: No. <laughs> I mean, isn't that just exactly what that game was supposed to be or what we all knew was gonna be. I mean, nice call on the, the under, by the way, Chip. I don't know how we weren't all lock unitying that, but that was just that was Iowa, Iowa State check.
1: I mean Iowa averaged four point three yards of play in one. <laughs> It scored, I think, one touchdown. Yeah, it had one touchdown in the game. Dressed for all field goals. Averaged four yards of play, and it won.
2: I tell it, you, man. That, that sorry, we have to go ahead.
1: No, it won because Iowa State's, you know, Gunner
2: ran into the Iowa State yeah. Punt returner. Yeah, <laughs> Just, what a brutal way oh. to go out if you're Iowa State.
0: No, they scored no touchdowns. I think it was all field goals. Was it all field goals? Yeah, I think it's six field goals. Oh no. shoot, you're right. No, no, they had.
1: Nate Stanley ran for a touchdown in the uh, in the fourth quarter. They just missed the two point
0: conversion. <laughs> yeah, that's right.
2: So, and and didn't you guys feel? I don't know if y'all were watching in real time, but di- didn't y'all sort of get a sense that if Brock Purdy got that ball that last time, he had a pretty good shot. Oh yeah, at, at making a run at that thing. Like I, I, I my, my hunch was that they were gonna go down a kick and field goal and win it. And then he didn't even get the chance.
1: Yeah, I thought it was over when they had to punt or they 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 turned it over on downs on fourth down and like there were there was two minutes left. They had two timeouts. I figured okay they're gonna get the ball back with like twenty seconds. But then Iowa, you know, they went out of bounds and stopped the clock. So like I was punting it back and there's still a minute and a half left. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh man. They're going to get the ball back around the 25 or 30, and they're going to have a minute 20 to get into field goal position. They're going to win this game. And then they ran into each other on the punt, and Iowa recovered it. Game over.
2: But this is such a, I mean, that's, this game is so weird like that in the sense that, uh, I mean, no matter what had happened at the end of that game, whether Iowa State went down and scored, whether they went down and missed a field goal, whether they, off the punt, and I will hang on to it. And, and one, n- nothing changes pregame, postgame, in terms of how we view these two teams. <laughs> nothing changes in terms of their goals this season. Nothing changes. We just are. We reaffirm that when Iowa plays Iowa State, it's probably going to be a really close game. It's probably going to be really low scoring, and then they'll go about their, their you know, their their way. You know, be a be, be along their way and their conference schedule. Yeah, you know, when
1: when rivalries like this happen, the cliche is throw the records out the window. When Iowa and Iowa State play, throw the results out the window. Because yeah, it doesn't really mean anything right. going forward. Does
0: not mean a thing. Um, all right, so what else from around the country stood out today?
2: Uh, what you got, Tom?
1: I mean, Pac-12, who are, who are the teams that are left undefeated in the Pac-12 now? It, it's Utah, Wazoo, mm-hmm. uh, Cal, and uh, Arizona State. <laughs> it's. I don't feel good about the pac 12 playoff chances at this point. I think Utah is really their only contender, and I just don't know if Utah is going to be taken seriously enough because with Washington losing last week, with, with USC losing today, with Oregon's, I just... I don't think the Pac-12 is doing itself any favors on the national narrative kind of reputation front.
0: I thought no. the I thought today was a a, a very below the radar storyline that I think only probably spins forward more. But I think that today was all about getting Ian Book's confidence up. You know, maybe got his got a little rattled. With that Monday night Louisville game, not off to the best start. They sure they finished off with the win. That was good, but man, it really seems like the game plan against New Mexico was to get Ian Book, give him some juice because he's about to have to step foot, you know, between the hedges, Sanford Stadium, Athens, Georgia, going up against the Bulldogs next week. It just seemed like everything was very carefully designed to let's 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 make life easy on Ian Boog. Let's get him out there. Let's get him pitching it around. Let's get him running it a little bit. I mean, the the Irish ran it uh, TF up on New Mexico. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and it really felt like Brian Kelly... I, I look at Brian Kelly, and I think that he doesn't go into every single game feeling like we need to put 60 on the board, but it felt like he went into this game being like, we need to give... Uh, <laughs> Ian book. A lot of good stuff right now.
1: Book averaged 15 yards of attempt against New Mexico (laughs) Not completion attempt. He finished with 364 yards on 24 attempts with five touchdowns. And yeah, it was, I think I saw game time roughly four and a half minutes of this one. And it was very clear. In those four and a half minutes, where this game was going, I mean, Notre Dame got off to a slow start in the first quarter. I turned it on early in the second, and it was just like, "Yeah, okay, they're they're just going to cruise here." And that's exactly what they did.
2: Remember the storyline before the season? Notre Dame's playing like seven teams that have a bye week before they play them. Well, that was one of them, New Mexico. <laughs> so <laughs> let's just let's just call it six, uh, <laughs> And and go from there. But I I mean, I'm kind of I'm kind of proud of proud of Notre Dame I mean that look if, if they're gonna be amongst the big boys in college football if they're gonna be in the top tier teams that can win the national championship you can't go beat Ball State 24 to 16 you know mm. you gotta beat New Mexico 66 to freaking 14 and so yeah like good 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 for you Notre Dame to go out there and and you know, act like the bully in the schoolyard because uh, I think you're gonna need, like you said, Chip, you're gonna need that kind of clout when you roll up to the, you know, to the next bully in Georgia next weekend.
0: Barton, anything uh, stand out to you?
2: Yeah, I'll, so the three other games quickly: Ohio State, whew, you know, so much for everyone talking about. You know, Indiana's where they covered seven of the last eight or something against Ohio State. Mm-hmm. This this team might be pretty dang good, y'all. This, this, this guy, this team, this team may may got it, may have a chance. Um, also, West Virginia and North Carolina State. Every time I looked up, West Virginia was just going mock speed and running through North Carolina State. Yeah, nothing happened in that game the way I thought it was going to happen. <laughs> I mean. Yeah, that was that was something.
1: I don't know how West Virginia went from the offense I saw the last its first two games to what it was doing today. It's like, oh, okay, maybe they were just sandbagging for NC State for some strange reason. I don't know. It yeah.
0: was a it was a dud. They showed up flat. It was bad, and that game went bath salts. And when the game went sideways, that plays a into the home team's favor, in my opinion, and b especially into West Virginia's favor because the... Well, Neil Brown is in his first year at West Virginia. There are a lot of players who have played some weird, weird games uh, on that roster. And I just think that they were just more comfortable. I mean, that's that that what I said early, right, Tom? I texted you. I was like, Yo, yeah. NC State West Virginia's bath salts. I don't know what's going to happen in this game, but this game is just lunacy right now. So... NC state could win West Virginia might win, but this is not going like you mentioned, not going at all according to plan for anyone involved. Unless of Last, course that's West Virginia's plan.
2: <laughs> no, Hey man, I mean, that's, I'm, I'm just sort of proud of good West Virginia's. Maybe they got a chance to win some games this year. So that's, that. that's, and, and Hey, speaking of, I kind of said in passing, well maybe except for the big 12, but, but no, I mean, how about the Big Twelve? I think the Big Twelve is the best conference of college football. I mean, top to bottom, yeah. The guy, you have to call them that, right? I mean, I, Oklahoma's I, out here boat racing UCLA. I, Texas <laughs> nearly beats LSU, but hey, competitive game. West Virginia beats NC State. Kansas State beats Mississippi State. TCU smokes Purdue on the road. Uh, t- Texas Tech, we're sitting here watching it right now at twelve uh, fifteen Central Time, and they're beating Arizona. so Kansas is a dang juggernaut. Kansas? <laughs> yeah. How about that? So, yes, I'm, I'm proclaiming it uh, Big 12 Best Conference of College Football right now. But but part of the reason that I bring that up is that Kansas State-Mississippi State game, uh, I, I spent a lot of time watching that one. And I really like this Kansas team. For one, I really like this Kansas team. Uh, and for two, this uh, this little well that I found in the corner of a six acre lot in Starkville, Mississippi. This o- this over well. Yes, it's still hitting, boys. Two and zero on my Starkville over well. I think I think I'm like, I might go back to it next week. We'll see what see what the number is. It looked dicey for a minute. I know, but no, no, no. It it looked dicey because of just like yes, like the scores, but the like both teams were moving the ball on each other consistently. There was like a lot of like absolute overbusters that took place in that game. You're talking about interception returns inside the 25-yard line only to hit to fumble back to the team that just threw the interception, like long drives that would, you know, go, go, uh, turn over on downs, you know, muffed punts. I mean, all these things that totally threw off the rhythm and, and the scoring opportunities, but they still went over and they went over with Mississippi state turning into a backup quarterback and Tommy Stevens not looking great. So, I'm just look, man, you don't have to you don't have to fish out of you don't have to pull anything out of this well. I'm gonna keep this well for myself. You don't believe in it. But <laughs> that,
1: that backup quarterback
2: went end over end there for a minute too. That was a phenomenal <laughs> effort. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. That was like movie like
1: movie football.
2: Yeah, look you know uh, I mean? yeah. Yeah, dig up if you listen to Pod, dig up the Garrett Schrader, uh, fourth quarter dive for like a desperation first down to keep keep the team alive because, man, he went after it. It was awesome.
0: Texas Tech fighting for the reputation of the Big 12.
2: If Texas Tech
1: loses to Arizona, we take back everything we said.
0: Everything.
1: You can't lose to a team that lost to Hawaii.
0: Oklahoma State getting it done on the road against Tulsa.
1: Yeah. Oh, hell of a front door cover there at the end too. <laughs> uh, that was that, that. was
2: nice.
0: Oh wait, yeah, we're just gonna um, we're just gonna let Hubbard run it. Just one more. Oh, here we go! Touchdown, Cover Town. It's beautiful, <laughs> beautiful. Follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow him at Tom Vernelli. You can follow me at Chip Underscore Patterson. Uh, gentlemen, we will be back with even more next week. Thank you very much. Thank you. Sure.